Well, this is another episode of Presbyterian and Reformed Churchmen. I'm Pastor George, and I'm with a friend of a friend, John Maynard. John is a ruling elder in uh, my original home state, Florida, and he is a friend of Gabe Williams, who I had on uh, last week. Gabe said, you got to talk to this guy, John. And um, if you could see this online, he does not have horns. Yeah, yeah, I'll get away that. Well, I do have horns. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Yeah, he's got he's got a mount of a uh, of a, of a doll sheep from Alaska behind his head, and it's uh, it's protruding from. It looks like it's protruding from his own head. So, uh, John, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us maybe about that mount behind you, since it's uh, it's right there. That mount is a, almost. Uh, let's see, it's ninety years old. My granddad uh, shot it in. Uh, 1932 i'm pretty sure and um he is long deceased but i've carried it around with me from home to home <laughs> for a long time he's a, such a beautiful head that i i keep it in a few others in my office yeah yeah all right well i'm glad to know you don't have horns uh, <laughs> so uh wait so wait where are you from originally and where, where are you now? And, and tell us about your church. And, yeah, originally from uh, Amarillo, Texas, uh, which is in the northern panhandle of Texas. I joined a uh, OPC church there after growing up in, in the PCUSA um, and uh, really finding Christ through Young Life and uh, a few other ministries. Um, and uh, anyway, grew up there, um, moved to Florida. Um, I think it was about 1990, and uh, moved originally to Jacksonville, Florida, and then later to Orlando, Florida. In Jacksonville, we were uh, at a PCA church called Christ Church in uh, Mandarin, and then um, in Orlando, we go to St. Paul's Presbyterian. I've been a ruling elder at St. Paul's, I believe it's about, it's hard to believe, but about 20 years. Oh, okay, so you've been there a while. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. How, how do you know Gabe? You know, we primarily met at Presbytery, uh, just got to be good friends there. And um, yeah, so it was mainly through that. I uh, We interviewed, I was on the minister's work committee at Presbytery, and we interviewed his pastor. So we had a lot of involvement uh, through that, uh, a new pastor they had. So that's mainly how I got to know him. Okay, great. And uh, we, I didn't mention it for our listeners to know where we're going with this. Uh, John has done battle with cancer so we're going to talk about uh god's providence in um in the life of a ruling elder and how that impacts uh ministry family um how it impacts relationship with god and how we view our time on earth and i I, i'm looking forward to that conversation Uh, before we jump into that though tell me a little bit about your family i have a family of four um my eldest is a son he actually lives here in orlando works in a financial services company um I have a second daughter that lives in Denver. She's an attorney, a third that's an attorney in Nashville. We've never had attorneys in our family before, but we do now. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and the fourth is uh, is a home engineer here in Orlando. Uh, each of them have kids. We have a total of 11 grandchildren uh, who have Praise really God. brightened up our life. So. Yes, yes. And what's your wife's name? Elise. And Elise, we were actually... Very- uh, High school sweethearts and um, got married not too long after uh, after we both finished college. And um, so we've known each other. In fact, we the other day had our 50th anniversary of our first date. So 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very, very, very cool. Yeah. So, so, uh, similar to that, but not exactly. But my wife is, I always say her name is Susan and she was the girl I wanted to be my high school. Sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we knew each other in high school and I definitely had a crush on her, yeah. uh, but we didn't get together until 10 years later. Oh, that's great. And yeah, yeah. And this, this year will be the 20th year, I think of our, uh, of our first date. I have to think yeah. about that. I should know these things. Before. Yeah, we should. But uh, <laughs> uh, wait, you know, I didn't even ask before. Like, what, what, uh, what do you do? Are you retired? And, and what is your profession? I am semi-retired. I, every time I go to MD Anderson, they ask me that question. And I don't know how to answer it because they don't have an in between. But um, because of the the mantle cell uh, or the cancer that I came down was diagnosed with, um, kind of you know became my full time job over the last twelve months, and. Um, I have a lot of other responsibilities, but my career was in uh, medical devices, primarily having to do with uh, spine surgery, and um, mm -hmm. later did some in cardiovascular surgery, a little bit in neurosurgery. But um, anyway, that was a that was the main career that I've had, and I'm still tinkering around with medical devices and doing different things in that uh, arena, but not so much full time. I've I serve on the board of Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And um, that, especially of late, has kept me very, very busy on, on some different projects. And um, and then I'm <laughs> just silly things like I'm on the HOA here in my neighborhood. And uh, of course, I'm on our, our church board. So all those things really end up taking quite a bit of time. Um, um, but my, yeah. back to my main career, it was, it was really in medical devices. Yeah, wow. I and I forgot you're on the board at uh at Westminster. Yeah. That that's awesome. So you yeah, you have a lot of iron uh you know, was it irons in the fire yeah, uh, so to speak. I do. So I'm sure uh cancer has kind of thrown a monkey wrench in a lot of your plans. You sound you seem like a driven guy, <laughs> a guy who has plans and a guy who doesn't want to waste time and I'm sure uh going through a year's worth of of treatment is has uh, really kind of yeah. Uh yeah, so t tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, uh, the, my journey uh, with cancer started in a funny way. I was attacked by a swarm of hornets, and uh, <laughs> that's that in itself was an object lesson of how God turns difficult things into good things. But uh, what that did okay. was, I really that was the bites became infected. I had a lot of problems with them, and ultimately, um, when my lymph nodes didn't shrink back down after that. Um, somebody somewhere along the line says, you know, you might want to get that checked. So um, I had him biopsied um, and about three months later and uh, showed up the next day at the doctor's office. And he said, well, you have uh, mantle cell lymphoma. Of course, I had no clue what that was other than knowing that it was a form of blood cancer. And um, anyway, when I uh, got home, I do what everybody does in a situation like that. I consulted Dr. Google and tried to find out what was this <laughs> disease that I had uh, contracted. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was very sobering, uh, to, to learn it's the rarest lymphoma. Only 6% of lymphomas are mantle cell. And, um, it's also, I found this out later, but it was evident in the articles that I was reading, uh, that it's the uh, deadliest cancer and also one of the most difficult to treat. And, um, yeah, so those were all very sobering things. Uh, in so many ways, you know, the obvious is, is it woke me up to uh, my mortality in a way that I never would have expected. 
um, that, you know, um, I think I, I, I thought back and I think I used to sit at funerals and think that'll never happen to me, <laughs> which of course is absurd, but that's just the way we tend to think. We don't tend to think about our time on earth being finite and limited. And uh, so it really helped me in that regard, just to, just to face the inevitability of my own demise was, a, was really a very healthy thing for me. Um, mm. Anyway, for days I prayed the Hezekiah prayer that he'd give me. Uh, I, I prayed for 20 more years. Hezekiah only played, prayed for 15, but I was trying <laughs> to adjust for inflation. But anyway, yes. uh, as he often does, God really... Uh, uh, unmistakably, unmistakably, and amazingly uh, provided deliverance through some uh, doctors at MD Anderson, who some 10 years ago had decided, even though this was the rarest of lymphomas and the most difficult to treat, he wanted to tackle it. And um, so ultimately, through the uh, treatments that Dr. Wong uh, prescribed and came up with, um, I've been in, uh, well, I was declared in remission about 45 days ago. Uh, f oh, yeah, full, full remission is the term they use, which means, you know, it can always come back. Um, it, in a sense, cancer never goes away. This particular cancer doesn't have a cure. But um, anyway, uh, particularly also some of the early, you know, back to Dr. Google, the treatments that were commonplace about 10 years ago were extremely uh, well, they were just daunting. And, uh, and instead, what I was treated with was an immunotherapy, which uh, particularly attaches to the cancerous cells as opposed to kind of the shotgun blast of, of uh, chemotherapy. And um, so I've had two medications in that respect that I've taken on. The other things I've learned is when my, ma when my pastor, uh, Justin Borger, great guy, came over and uh, talked with me the first day after my diagnosis. He said, well, John, this is going to give you a voice that you've never had before uh, in the church. And that's really, that's been obviously very true. When I came back to him four weeks later and told him, uh, you didn't tell me it would also give me ears. And uh, because in so many ways, I think um, worship and um, everything that goes with that uh, just was so greatly enhanced. I mean, it's just like, uh, became a megaphone in my ears. Uh, so that, that was really to a, a great blessing. Um, anyway, there are so many other things that it's taught me. It's, you know, just taught me to, you know, the total dependence day, day by day, moment by moment. If you're, you know, the fact that, uh, it's, there is no cure puts you in a place where, you know, you never know when it will recur. And, uh, so there's that. And I think to, I mean, you know, just the obvious, like I mentioned earlier, time, our time is short. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I think we was talking about marriage, but um, it's, you know, the our time is limited. And, and even though we don't know how short it is, it's short. And uh, so it's really given me much more of a right now counts forever type mindset. I think that was a R.C. Sproul expression uh, from Ligonier. But anyway... Um, and like I was, I've said to you before, cancer's taught me a lot. Uh, cancer is a lot like sin. There are a lot of similarities between sin and cancer, and uh, that's been interesting to learn and just to recognize uh, 
uh, how a disease operates in many ways, uh, same the same way indwelling sin does in our lives. Oh, that's well, that's great. I want to I want to dig into that a little, a yeah. little more too. Uh, but first, first, just uh, so a month and a half, uh, you've been in remission. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was a joyful thing. When you first got the news, how was it like? How did your family receive it uh, when you first got the news that you had the cancer? That's a great. That's a great question. Um, well, you know, really, my wife. I always say my wife is a, a rancher woman from Texas, and uh, you know, some <laughs> years it rains and some years it doesn't rain, and you just uh, stick stick with it throughout. So she's very level headed. That helped me be level headed about it. Um, it was, you know, there was a certain measure of shock that went with it. Um, uh, I think, you know, what was most interesting to me was how my kids responded. Um, and they, um, I, I don't, you know, I, I felt closer to them and more loved by them than I have in a long time. It was really a, a very touching experience to me um, because they really, um, you know, just went out of their way to express, you know, sincere love and and respect and, you know, things that, you know, mean everything when they come from your kids. No, that that's a blessing. Yeah. And uh, that's a sweetness. Yeah. That's, that's God's sweetness to you through that. That's that's great. So when you, um, again, you're involved in a lot of things. You've, you had a full-time job. You're on a yeah. board of, uh, of a uh, Westminster. You're a ruling elder in your church. You're on the HOA. So did, did you have to – like what was the, some of the tension there in trying to care for yourself and do what you needed to do to to beat this but also uh, meet your – what you would view as your responsibilities or your um, – you know, you had a lot of balls in the air. So what – Yeah, you know, I've always had in life a lot of balls in the air. So this was just one more ball. I mean it was in the sense that um, I really um, – you know, I just – took it on as another job, as another contract. I, I do a lot of contract consulting now. And, um, so t- it was almost like that. I mean, I just, you know, take, I take to go into treatments. I just always take my backpack full of, of work in there and, and, uh, work the whole time. And, and, uh, mm. you know, not, you know, I, I, in some ways it made me slow down and, and obviously reflect a lot more on life. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I don't want to downplay it, but it was in that in that sense almost just another uh, another thing we, that I had to do. Yeah, I think you and I would be a, a lot a lot alike in that. Yeah. It's uh, I, I was I, I don't remember if I told you I was a project engineer and, and project uh, deliverer no. for, yeah. for. Oh, okay. I was an engineer, um, a mechanical engineer with Procter and Gamble for. Oh wow! In, in a in, in a former career, uh, so yeah, I. I it's all we as engineers we manage yeah. things and yeah you know. right but but i i actually could kind of get that um you know a lot of ruling elders come down with illnesses uh you know you're mature men in the faith and and making your time count mm-hmm. and serving as god has called you and so it's not you know we we have a, a ruling elder here who's been through cancer now um he recently had a stroke and he's, he's not even mm. that old. And I look forward to having him on as, as, uh, as God mm. would allow. But, uh, what, what advice would you have for ruling elders that are going through their own, uh, their own trials and, 
in their life as they're trying to shepherd the church. And particularly in a Reformed setting where we truly believe in the sovereignty of God and God's providence, right. even – I was going to say even, especially in these yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Any any advice or comments or, or thoughts? You know, I think it's so like so many other – struggles in life i mean this is a mammoth struggle because it's a it's really a fight for life uh, but like so many of those i think that it's a test um you know it's 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 a test do you really believe what god says about himself do you really believe um you know just in most fundamental terms do you believe that he loves you and cares for you as a child and um there were some early things that happened to me in, in that experience that um Really, I, you know, almost pull back the curtain in terms of seeing um, the love of Christ and his care for me. Um, <laughs> it still kind of gets to me today. But, uh, mm. but it, it was so clear to me that um, he was in control and so clear to me that um, he was caring for me. I mean, the fact that how would I ever know that a guy 10 years ago decided to you know, take on, um, he's a Chinese doctor, to take on mantle cell lymphoma. I mean, how would I have ever imagined that? But, you know, when it all came together, even getting into MD Anderson uh, was, uh, you know, almost a, an act of, uh, a miraculous act in itself. Uh, just happened to have a friend, a former friend who in Texas who uh, worked for a guy who was on the board of MD Anderson, uh, I couldn't get in there for about three months. Uh, when I talked with this guy the next week, the doctor called me and set up an appointment. Doctors don't call patients that they've not had before. And uh, yeah. so, you know, that and then um, I was diagnosed, I think it was on November 5th. And I actually entered treatment before Thanksgiving. Uh, so, you know, just... You know, obviously, anything you want to get on quickly, you know, the, just those those events uh, in so many ways, uh, you know, just just really so plainly reveal to me God's care and love for us as a as a family. And um, even even on the church side, there were guys I met at church there in Houston, <laughs> one of whom I had uh, um, actually initiated on the board at Westminster about three months before that was a pastor in a church who, I mean, there were just an incredible number of ties. One of the pastor in that church had a, uh, his wife had MCL as rare as, as this disease is his wife had MCL. His wife also happened to have gone to the university of Texas with my sister. There were so many things like that, that just, you know, made me stop several times and go, wow, this, uh, you know, you really do love me. <laughs> wow, that that's awesome. I mean, I was, as you were saying it, I'm like, yeah, not only is God completely in control, obviously he is, but he's moving heaven and earth yeah. for you, you yeah. Know, <laughs> in yeah. your life. I mean, that's yeah. just, what a crazy yeah. thought. It's, it really is. And, you know, it's, it's like sometimes we, I mean, I don't wish that on anybody, cancer, but like those are the times where it, it's like, He's show he's showing you in a more obvious outward way, but but the truth is, that's how he works all right. the time. Exactly, exactly. That's why I say it's just that's like pulling amazing. back the curtain for a bit and 
saying it more plainly than I had that I hadn't had in a long, long time. It just was, um, and it, it, you know, that's part of what I mentioned earlier about just giving me ears. Um, you know, it mm. just um, it was like a megaphone in my ear uh, again and again. And um, so those those have been incredible growing points for me. And and you know, obviously, my wife has gone through this all with me. It's it's. Uh, We've, she, she's taken. She's gone with me in every treatment and every uh, meeting with the doctor and all those kind of things. So, how has it impacted? How has the experience impacted your shepherding of of the people in in the church where you serve? You know, actually, not that much. I, I'm very fortunate in that um, fortunate um, that uh, most of my treatments really had no side effects. That's that was another thing, just kind of like, how can this be? Especially from what the early stuff I read, um, and um, so you know, I, I have really been able to keep up most of my uh, responsibilities. Um, no problem going to GA last year. Continued to attend most Presbytery meetings, um, and in terms of just shepherding in the church, it's it's had some impact. You know, it takes it took time and takes time to do some of the things that are in my treatments. But, um, you know, I've still been able to be involved in a lot of uh, shepherding situations that, um, that were, that were necessary. I've never, I've never felt like I've had to pass up on something that, um, I wish I could have done and I didn't have time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I really would really like to get at is how, how has the experience overall, like now how it's affected you in, in being able to shepherd, but how has it made you uh, more aware of things yeah. within the congregation and how to, how to reach yeah. people and uh, show compassion, yeah. show, you know, yeah, one thing's obvious. It gives, it's giving me a lot more sympathy for people struggling with any sickness, but especially with cancer. I mean, just because of the, I mean, there is almost, it's funny, when you go to MD Anderson, it's almost like you're in a club. Um, it's really actually, right. actually, I've actually found MD Anderson to be a very joyful place to be, even though everyone there, in a sense, is, uh, you know, struggling for life. So, uh, yeah, so it's given me that. I mean, you know, that kind of goes without saying. Uh, there's a new empathy and sympathy for those uh, in difficult uh, situations, and that that doesn't necessarily require sickness. I mean, we we all find ourselves in, in things that we can't handle on our own. So I think it's helped me a lot in that. Oh, uh, that yeah, that's a good point. So so yeah, let's let's switch gears to what you said before. So you talked about cancer and what it's taught you about sin, and so I'd love yeah. to use that as an opportunity to transition into maybe talking about. Um, our, yeah. our role as as elders and how we view these things. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of things I've learned about cancer uh, just because of being in the medical field. I was really interested to learn a lot about it. I also have a brother-in-law who's on the board with me at Westminster that uh, is an oncologist. So, um, you know, there, there are things about, so mantle cell lymphoma particularly uh, uh, attaches to your B cells. B cells are one of your different blood cells. And, um, what it does is it attaches to a B cell and more or less overtakes a B cell and then kind of uh, conceals itself. It acts like a B cell and um, hides like a, you know, hides like it's 
you know, a normal cell, but ultimately attacks other, other B cells, attaches to them and takes them over. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, it's very stealthy. It's, it's uh, even now it, it's, uh, you know, probably in hidings uh, somewhere, even though I'm in full remission. And uh, so it has the ability to kind of uh, pop back up. Uh, and of course, sin is the same way. It has uh, that tendency to <laughs> to stick its head up at the worst time, and uh, so it's uh, the neat thing too is uh, the therapy that I've been through is immunotherapy. Immunotherapy actually goes and uh, as opposed to kind of the shotgun blast of uh, chemotherapy, immunotherapy actually finds cancerous blood cells which have a particular chemical profile, attaches to them and kills them. Uh, so there's a picture of sanctification there, I think, too, in terms of, um, you know, just, um, uh, you know, really searching out our sin, the sin in our hearts and um, and dealing with it and mortifying it. And so anyway, those are things that, um, you know, I've learned. I think that um, I was thinking about that passage in First uh, Peter today where says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In so many ways, that's what uh, cancer does. And that it's the nature of the disease that, uh, that you have to fight it every day. Yeah, wow, that is a, that's a great, uh, it's a great illustration. I can think of pastors all over listening to this, uh, showing up in their sermons <laughs> in the, next, <laughs> in the ne- next few months. And and really, I mean, it, it's it is a deep sort of analogy yeah. about just hiding within, and we think everything's yeah. fine, and uh, oftentimes it rears its head or it reveals itself because of something else, like in your case, getting yeah. bit by uh, yeah. hornets or whatever you got yeah. attacked by. Yeah. Those are vicious, um, you know. But but once again, like we always say, like we you've probably heard pastors say this in sermons hundreds of times like it's not loving not to tell somebody what the cure is if they have a deathly disease and yet we're so allergic to telling people they they have cancer oh cancer of the soul right you know oh it's so true i'm you know my uh general practitioner who told me of the diagnosis uh is a good friend and um i could tell it was about the last thing he wanted to tell me but uh Mm. yeah it's uh it's bad news. That's good news, though. You know, they're again just because. Um, I mean, to carry the analogy forward, there's a perfect solution to uh, the sin that courses through our body, and uh, although we will mm. never defeat it, in a sense, I'll never defeat this cancer. I'll e- either die from it or die with it. Uh, but um, there will, you know, there'll there'll be a day when I'm delivered from it. So, yeah. Oh, amen. That's a, that's yeah. a good word. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I was, I'm thinking of with that we use the analogy is, is it destroys from mm-hmm. within. So it's in hiding right. and it destroys right. from within. And, you know, people throw around the analogy often of like a problem existing within an organization as, as a, it's a cancer yeah. eating away you know, yeah. from the inside, you know, and it goes unnoticed. And, um, you know, I think we got to be on the lookout for that too. I mean, I think it, you know, within Christianity, yeah. within the PCA, yeah. I mean, we so many Bible verses tell us to uh, be on the lookout yeah. for 
false teaching, false teachers to be yeah. vigilant about yeah. these things, uh, you know. So any thoughts on that? As we no, for sure. Here? I mean, that um, I think that whenever you allow false doctrine to go without confronting it, like Paul says in Timothy, without dealing with it, then, um, you know, you're 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 not you're not helping the church you're not doing your job most importantly and um you you know there's um the nature of the cancer of sin is that it it only goes forward um and so unless it's addressed unless you deal with it then um it's only going to go in one direction same thing's true as church discipline i mean you know um if you don't uh address problems and and um confront them uh, then, uh, you know, it's the picture of leaven. It, the leaven is going to spread in the dough. And, uh, and so you've got to deal with it, um, you know, early and decisively. Um, you know, and obviously that, I don't want to get into church discipline as a subject, but I think it's, there's analogies there that, that work. Yeah, no, that, that, no doubt. And so you, uh, tell me about your, your role on the board of Westminster and what's that involved? How long you've been there? Oh boy. I was thinking about that the other day. I think it's been almost 18 years. I think, uh, the, um, uh, a real close friend of mine, uh, is on faculty there. Uh, Dr. K Scott Oliphant. Uh, he's in, he's kind of the, I think he's the head of the apologetics department there. He first got me interested in serving on the board there. Um, and um, it's been a great time. There have been some very difficult controversies through time that we've dealt with, but um, I'm a, I've been an officer on the board for some amount of time. I'm, the, I'm over the uh, what they call their governance committee, and um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of work to be done in that in terms of just managing how we work as a board, how we relate to the uh, seminary uh, administration. But it's been an incredibly rewarding time. You know, some of the guys that I have met uh, there, the, particularly the faculty, they're, they're just incredible men, uh, really passionate to see the true gospel um, taught. And um, so they're, I, it's been a very rewarding, very, very rewarding experience. Oh, that's phenomenal. So I'm, uh, I'm doing my doctor of ministry with uh, BTS, oh, Birmingham sure. Theological Seminary. And uh, they have a, a new program. I'm, I'm in the first round of it uh, in apologetics. So it's like really the only D-min in mm. apologetics. And so da uh, David sure. Filson was my yeah. professor. And, of course, he teaches at, at Westminster right. at times. And his, his uh, dissertation advisor was, yeah. was yeah. Scott Oliphant. And uh, I've been so enriched by – by uh, Dr. Elephant's yeah. books and his, uh, his his covenantal condescension is just yeah. a beautiful way of uh, explaining. So when, if you next time you see him, tell him uh, his his labors are carrying on through his his own students who then carry it I on will. to us. So. Amazingly, uh, I went to high school with Scott Oliphant, uh back in Texas. Okay, and that was for both of us, uh, kind of BC before Christ, and uh, <laughs> so it was. Uh, we always say we have a pact of mutually assured destruction. Uh, we won't either one of us bring up our former lives <laughs> to, to anyone. So, but he's such a great guy. I mean, I can't tell you, he was the funniest guy I knew in high school, and now he's just the most intelligent guy I know. He's uh, he's he's really yeah. uh, an incredible guy, and um, 
incredible. Uh, oh yeah, he just had a, an amazing effect on me in terms of understanding apologetics and and um, how to how to speak the truths of the faith into a into a fallen culture. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, that's awesome. I love the work uh, of of those guys yeah, in, in yeah. Westminster, Philly. So thank you for. I, I forgot about that when uh, when I got on yeah. here with you on this. Um, how about the the PCA? So you've uh, you've written uh, your articles. You, your Aquila report ran some. Um, obviously, we're we're uh, of the same persuasion when mm-hmm. it comes to the, the the issues going on in the PCA, particularly around side B yeah. and revoice and. Uh, we know that's kind of been debated and discussed, uh, you know, to the fullest, but kind of what, what's your hope going into this GA and, um, for the future of the PCA and, and. Well, that's a big question. Yeah, what, as a ruling elder. <laughs> it is. Isn't it? Uh, we had our, um, presbytery meeting, uh, just last week and, uh, uh, it didn't turn out as well as I'd hoped. Uh, it was, um, mm. and you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, Ours either. I'm convinced that, uh, that was because we had, as compared to last year, um, many, many fewer ruling elders in attendance. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really difficult thing. Uh, presbyteries can be totally weird for an, a ruling elder that's never been there before. And um, But I think it's vital for, and I'm a huge fan of seeing ruling elders get more involved in uh, presbytery. And, and General Assembly. It seems like in the last few years, there's been a lot more involvement at General Assembly. Um, I'm not sure that it's been appreciated by those same ruling elders that if they don't show up and vote at Presbytery uh, at the same time, then a lot of the overtures that, that at least I would hope go through uh, don't go through. Uh, so I think it's really critical for that. I think that, you know, my personal, I'm really trying to figure out now in our Presbytery how to uh consistently increase ruling elder attendance. And I'm convinced that, first of all, it's got to start with teaching elders who who really explain to their session what is why they're needed and to strongly encourage them to come, not just having an agenda item that comes up, okay, who wants to go to presbytery, but to really uh, teach ruling elders to uh, engage at presbytery. They're not only you know, they not only should go, they're needed. Uh, and uh, so that's a lot of what I'm trying to figure out right now. I think that, um, you know, I think there's some other things that Presbytery as a whole can do to encourage ruling elders to come. Obviously, meeting on days of the week that they can make it always helps. Uh, but in addition, I think, like I said, I've, I have thought back on my first few Presbytery meetings and it was, they were, you know, it was like walking into a different world. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, I think that we need to recognize that general assembly is the same way, but it's a little more friendly. Uh, but I think, I think, uh, presbytery needs to do a job of, of helping ruling elders kind of get into presbytery and understand what's going on and, um, you know, more or less initiate them into that process. I, it's like fascinating to me that you said general assembly is, is a little <laughs> friendlier. And so I, I think, I think what it is is cause GA is daunting. I've only been to a couple and yeah, it, it's, it's especially the first business they're doing. Like, what are they doing? But I will, I will say 
it's easy. It, it sometimes is more comfortable to get lost in a well, crowd exactly. of two thousand people than to be in a room of thirty to fifty people who are supposed to be your right. brothers and friends, and they're yeah. not including you. That that's why. And so I I think I can I can relate to that. And uh, you know, I I think people listening now, if uh, no, yeah. I was a ruling elder. Uh, Longer than I've yeah. been teaching elders so far, I got to see when I can stop <laughs> saying that. But uh, you know, I, I would agree. Teaching elders need to really help their ruling elders navigate, and and it's not just like, hey, we need two representatives for this meeting, and uh, and, and then the session votes on two guys or however many guys to go, and then they everybody just kind of shows up, and, and it's like prepare your your ruling elders. Like I. I usually will call them if I don't meet with them and I'll show them the agenda. I mean, they have access yeah. to the agenda. Our press yeah. just sends it to all the, you know, but like kind of say like, this is what this means. This is the implication of it. Here's what's going on. Here's yeah. how I'm going to um, speak to right. it or against it. Um, introduce them at Presbytery. You know, you gotta, you gotta kind of help them. And uh, the same, the same thing with GA. I mean, GA is, is, uh, yeah. is a big place. Yeah. It's daunting, but you know, get your guys tickets to the luncheons, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, uh, take them around yeah. introducing the people. Yeah. But I think that, you know, there's also at least what I've seen at Presbytery, I think there's, um, a certain sense in which there's not a real friendliness to new people. <laughs> and I think there's a need to, uh, this probably isn't true of every Presbytery, but I think there's a need for those kind of things you mentioned to, uh, you know, really make new people uh, feel welcome, uh, not like they're out of the club. And, you know, why are you here this this month? You, you know, we've never seen you before. Instead, really, you know, reaching out. I think that's at least I, I believe in our presbytery. That's been an issue. It's just not really been an outgoing and friendly, welcoming uh, environment. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And And also. You know, try to get on a committee, right. and that that is hugely scary for guys because they feel ill-equipped. But what you don't realize is, well, most committees will just yeah. be happy that a ruling elder is there because they often don't have That's enough true. for a quorum. And you know, and so you can get on a committee and do what you should do anyway: is is sit right. and observe and learn and obviously speak up as the Lord convicts you and, and vote your conscience, but you don't have to be such an active True. player at first. So you don't have to be like, I don't know what's going on. Right. So I can't be on a committee guys will be happy. And then you'll see pretty quickly. The friendliness will, yeah. will come about because guys will just yeah. be happy that you're, yeah. you're in, engaged. Yeah, for sure. I think it just takes, you know, and I think too, I'd say to ruling elders, you know, you know, get some courage, get going. I mean, get step into it and, you may not understand everything that's going on, but just just figure, you know, sit by somebody that does, ask them questions, um, and learn it. Um, it's it's really a vital part of what goes on in the PCA today. Yeah, right. And you know, it's it's not simply the job of the teaching elders. You know, some because when I was a ruling elder, I I never went to presbytery which just wasn't south florida you yeah, just didn't have yeah. a lot of that going on um actually i did the last couple of years but um you know it's this kind of thought well that all the the pastors go and they're representing the churches but you know what there's a lot of voting teaching elders that aren't yeah. attached to a church and yeah. so you know there's there's a number of guys and and i'm not 
this is not me speaking down about this. It's just a reality. There's whether they're RUF yeah. pastors or guys uh, operating out of bounds or with uh, without a call or whatever. And so th- there's more influence and interest there besides just local churches. And so if you want your local church to have your your fair say in this, you need to send your your compliment yeah. to every yeah every sure. meeting. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, th- I think that's pretty much what we had uh, Slade to talk about. Anything you want to you want to wrap <laughs> up with, or any further topics you want to you want to jump? Any waters you want to jump in? You know, just you want, I'll man. tell you one thing that's been hot on my mind uh, of late, and it's just that I think that um, there's a certain sense in which now I'm thinking this after, like I told you, we had Presbytery last week, but I think we there's a certain sense in which my my thinking is we need to move beyond revoice at this point and really return to uh, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I, and I, you know, there are a lot of things, a lot of directions you could go with that. Um, I do think that there's a real sense in which uh, revoice has propagated what I at least consider uh, a false gospel. Uh, I think there's false doctrine in it and, and thinking that, um, you know, in, in essence, I think I, this has only come to me in the last six months, but in a real sense, it's it's antinomian. It really says, um, you know, it's, it says essentially the gospel I first attached to, which was, you know, don't worry about your sins, just come to Christ. And, uh, and you know, so I had a, a very, uh, when I first thought I came to Christ, I had uh you know, essentially, I bought I bought that hook, line, and sinker. That sounded like great news to me that I could live with my sin and still, you know, say that I walk with Christ. And um, you know, really, I ended up in a ditch with that philosophy. I mean, I uh, I ended up uh, in deep depression, contemplating suicide. You know, they're just it. It didn't really. Uh, you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And uh, for obvious reasons, it's it's false. It's a false teaching. And uh, and so I think the idea that, you know, you could, um, you know, uh, serve Christ and continue to identify as a homosexual to me is, is almost oxymoronic. And uh, so back to that, in terms of the gospel, I think that... Um, you know, one of the things I honestly think we need to do is is start looking at the gay community as a foreign nation, because it is a nation. I have personally, it's been a long time, but I've personally gone into the gay community and tried to uh, share the gospel. And um, it is it is a very tight community. Um, it, you know, it obviously has its own theology. It has its own forms of discipline. It has its own law, uh, of, of do's and don'ts. And, uh, and, you know, I think that, um, ultimately it's like every false gospel you'll end, it'll end up killing you. And, uh, and that's what, uh, I mean, I really think we need to start thinking about, um, you know, in a sense, foreign missions, uh, a, a different culture that we can go into and not adapt to that culture. I mean, adapt in some ways that are not important, but obviously not give up uh, fundamental beliefs of, of, you know, what Christ is, is offering in the gospel. And so, yeah. So to, to 
piggyback on that, the antinomian side, which is the, the way I the way I see that express itself in that is, well, I I'm not going to change right. anyway, and Christ loves right. me anyway, and so I don't have to pursue that because right. it's not going to change, right? Like this idea of right. fixed orientation, and 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 they make it like it would it would take a supernatural act of God to change right. affections. And we do know it is an act of God, but it is through ordinary means that he does that. It's not right. like he just decides, I'm going to just do that right. in this one right. case, you know. Um, but the other thing I would say is, and this is, you know, we've we've seen great work on this. Sinclair Ferguson mm. has, has pointed it out and stuff. But antinomianism and legalism are yeah. just two, two sides of the same coin. And and so where it gets, le- where it gets legalistic is where it's... The, particularly with side B, I'm okay as long as right. I don't do this. So it becomes about right. behavior modification rather than uh, mortification of, right. of indwelling sin. And I, I continue to see this in the PCA where, you know, there wants to be this distinguish this uh, distinction between uh, what is what comes what is original sin right. and what are actual sin. And you know, our confession uses that language, but. People are still saying that, like the the thought or the idea is an actual yeah. sin. It's indwelling sin, and I just it's so funny. I was just reading uh, Burkhoff, Louis Burkhoff, systematic theology the other day, and he, you know, he specifically says conscious thoughts, yeah. and volitions yeah. are actual sin. When he's describing actual sin, so the thought itself, and I don't know why this is, yeah, controversial. When I when I have a thought that is not appropriate about anything, whether it's how I feel about my brother or whether it be about right. whatever fleshly thing, wh- whatever it is, I don't say, "Well, I didn't act on it," or "Well, I didn't," I, I shut it down before it really turned into lust. I yeah. mortify the thought that I didn't right. even consciously right. Right. think, you know, and I, I don't understand why this has become yeah. controversial. And so, but, but that's where I say it comes out as, as a legalism because it's, it's, I am going to modify my behavior, but I can't yeah, modify yeah. my thought life, you know, uh, or my inner life. And it's a dichotomization of the, of the physical and the spiritual. It's, you know, and then on the antinomian side, it's, it's a Lutheran theology right. view of the law, uh, as if the law right. is always bad news and I can't do it. And it's not, you know, there's no category for, True sanctification, uh, true conformity yeah. into the image of Christ, and so I, I do agree. I agree with you, and that's I've argued that from for the last two years when guys have said this is not a <laughs> theological issue. This is uh, I said it's a hundred percent a theological issue. It's 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 the doctrine of man. It's anthropology, which is a system, which is a category right. of systematic theology. But it it is it is about yeah. the gospel itself, and so I I agree with you there, and I think. That's a great way to focus it is. is now, you know, I think I may have mentioned this to you, but I have like a 12 page document that I worked on over several months where I kind of work through our confessional statements, uh, Westminster standards, and just highlighted those points where um, either side B theology, revoice theology, whichever, whichever you want to call it, where that contradicted our confessional statements. It's, you know, it's very doctrinal. <laughs> it's, there's nothing that's not theological first. 
But beyond that, um, there, there's some very clear contradictions with our confessional statements. And uh, I really, that's another thing. I really think that's where we need to be addressing it today. We need, in our examinations and things of that nature, we need to really be asking the hard questions um, from a confessional perspective on, on, uh, on this issue. Uh, and, um, and, you know, in a sense, rooting out where the, where the uh, you know, where the cancer is hiding. Is that online? No, you, I you don't. Online, uh, I, yeah, I've just shared it with some other people, but um, I can say I'd be happy to send it to you. Well, I'm just trying to think of how to link to it in the show notes, but if it's not, if it's not online, no, I've, I've, um, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gone that far. Okay. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Um, you know, and, and for anybody hearing this that is like denying this stuff is going on in the PCA, I also wrote an article called "Where Is There Side yeah. B in the PCA." You can you can find that on yeah, the that's an on article website. Um, yeah. But yeah. oh, you read it? Yeah, well, great. And and in there it shows like you know a certain famous pastor who has left, but uh, right before he left, he he basically said he wouldn't if a gay married couple came to his church, he wouldn't seek to yeah. break the marriage up. Um, he, he's fine with the spiritual aspect side of things. Once again, it's, it's all about, he, he called it desexualizing the relationship. So once again, it's about like physical, we're going to be modify the behavior, but not modify, um, yeah. what this is imaging to the world, what this is saying about our insight. So this yeah. very much is still going on. Um, and, and, and yeah. that's what we've argued all along. Yeah, James one makes patently yeah. clear that, um, sin begins with our with our evil desires, my evil desire. I have to own my desires. And uh, that's the birthplace of sin. Uh, and, and you, you know, we see that in the 10th commandment. I mean, there is a desire there that is, that is called sinful. Uh, it, it's coveting, not, not just yeah. going and stealing somebody's home, but coveting their home that's wrong. <laughs> right, right. Whether that right. was conscious on right. your part or not, it's yours. Right. You know, it's 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 yours. So, yeah. Well, John, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and um, you you you've blessed me. Thank you for it. having so me. Thank you. Um, I'm, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess with that, that's another episode of Presbyterian Reformed Churchmen. If this podcast is a blessing to you, follow it on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, but share it with other ruling elders. Because my heart behind this is not to show like we're, uh, we have some super ruling elders in the denomination, but I really want to just show normal guys walking in the calling that God has given them, you know, struggling with things like cancer, uh, the, you know, in previous episodes, running a business, you know, but seeking to, uh, once again, live up to this, this calling that the Lord has placed upon uh, each man. And so share this with other ruling elders, and I hope it encourages you to, uh, to be involved in the ways. Thanks so much, George. Thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs>